Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from a cozy Airbnb in Brooklyn Heights, NYC. Happy Chinese New Year to everybody. I am Kaiser Guo, immoderately thrilled to be joined here this week by none other than Jeremy Goldcorn, the man behind Danway.com. How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing very well indeed, Kaiser. It's a real pleasure to see you in New York City. Yeah, great to be able to be here podcasting. Uh, this, by the way, made possible by our good friend and previous guest on Seneca, Eric Fish from the Asia Society, who graciously lent us his recording gear for this session. So, so Jeremy, listen to his podcast. Yeah, listen yeah. to his podcast, absolutely, from the Asia Society. It's really great. Uh, you enjoying your time here in New York? It's always fantastic to be in New York. What a city. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, been having a splendid time. I got a chance to finally see my brother's uh, Broadway musical, uh, Allegiance. Yeah, can you, can you tell us about it? Yeah, I, so, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Well, I hope you, I go. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You should definitely. Uh, it stars George Takei of Star Trek fame. Uh, who's, uh, he basically owns the internet now, I believe. Uh, and Leia Salonga, who was a Tony Award winning uh, singer who was actually, she, she won for Miss Saigon, a, a Tony, uh, but she was also the voice of Princess Jasmine in um, the Disney film Aladdin. It's absolutely terrific. It actually exceeded my already kind of unreasonably high expectations of it, but of course, you know, it was my brother who uh, wrote the, the music and the lyrics, so Jay, man, that was just great. It was great getting to sit next to him during the show and to uh, actually meet the cast afterward. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's about... Uh, life in the Japanese internment camps during the Second World War, not exactly uh, what one thinks of as, as fair for cheery Broadway musical theater, uh, but uh, it, was, it was actually done um, in a, a, a serious and yet uh, very kind of joyous and, and, uh, and, and fun way. Uh, it, it's great. I mean, absolutely see it. Um, but of course, the episode, the, the, the things that it talks about are... are one of the more shameful episodes in American history. I mean, 120,000 Americans of Japanese ancestry uh, were, or, or, or Japanese themselves, were, were interned after Pearl Harbor. And the show is actually based on George Takei's personal experience in, in childhood. He was in, in the camps as a child. Uh, perhaps, you know, this is going to be remembered as the worst case of racial profiling by the U.S. federal government. Unless, of course, Donald Trump actually gets elected in case, in which case, you know, all, all bets are off. Uh, so we're going to be talking today, among other things, about racial profiling today, uh, this time as directed against Chinese Americans and, and Chinese nationals in the U.S., uh, so here with us in our impromptu studio here to talk about this is Holly Chang, who is acting executive director of the Committee of 100 and one of my absolute favorite human beings on this planet, someone who I think very much shares my own personal mission in kind of enhancing uh, mutual understanding between the U.S. and China. So Holly grew up in Kentucky and in Texas and was trained as a civil engineer, but instead of actually building physical bridges, she has devoted her abundant talents to building the other kind of bridges, that is, bridges of understanding between the U.S. and China. Holly is the founder of Project Pongyo, which I've recommended before on this show and which I've been involved with very early on, and she's a creature of incomparable goodness and selfless dedication. Uh, so it was to this, uh, she's all verklempt now, uh, to this, uh, to our, our great city, <laughs> Beijing's eternal... You really know how to lay on the schmaltz, guys. Yeah, I mean, well, Holly is you. wonderful, but... <laughs> No, I, I'm, but yeah, no, I, I mean it entirely sincerely. Uh, no, I really, I do. Um, to to the, the 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 great loss of our fair city of Beijing, 
uh, she, where she lived for 10 years. She moved recently back to uh, the States and to New York here, uh, where she's now, as I said, the acting director of the Committee of 100, executive director of the Committee 100, which is, of course, a shadowy and secretive organization that, well, I'm kidding, of course. Um, so she'll tell us what it is. But first, in a long overdue turn on Seneca, welcome Holly Chang. How are you? Thank you, Kaiser, for that very overly generous uh, introduction. And I, I must say that this, I, I've, I've been following Seneca for a long time, and it, I always listen to it when I want to feel smarter and, and learn things that are smarter. So I'm very honored to be invited to come speak about something. Uh, some of, some of the things that I'm working on. So thank you. <laughs> you missing Beijing yet? I I am I am I wasn't ready to leave and um, yeah I, I'm ready to to uh, to see what's next for Beijing. But I really miss it. I mean I, I saw you back there not too long ago and you're you're, you're coming back pretty frequently still here. Yeah? I still go back uh, quite frequently, probably six times last year or so. Wow yeah. wow wow wow. That's good. I mean, I hope I'm going to be able to do that after I relocate here. But um, so <laughs> let's maybe jump in and, and talk about some of the work you've done with First Project Pungyo, uh, sure. which uh, which is a, a great organization. Um, so what's what's Project Pungyo all about? What's its mission, and and, and what are you guys doing these days? Right. Well, Project Pungyo uh, is a network of young Americans who have lived and studied in China. So it actually began as the alumni network of President Obama's 100,000 Strong Initiative. And they had worked with the State Department to, uh, to, to, to bring this program to fruition. And the State Department approached us a while back and asked if we were willing to build this community of Americans who had lived and studied in China. And can I just, let's clarify for people who might not be aware, the, the Obama's 100,000 Strong program, what is that? Well, that was an announcement that he made when he first came to Shanghai to try to send 100,000 young Americans to study in China over four years. That was back in two, September 2009, right? That was in September in 2009. But I think the, the initiative itself, although it was, it was announced in Shanghai, it was probably... Um, it probably started around 2010, 2011, when Hillary Clinton started kind of taking it over under her her uh, her leadership. Right, and they actually, I mean, I've, I've been you know in, in close touch with them, with Carol McGivern, and, and mm-hmm. they they reached that hundred thousand goal, and they're now actually shooting for a million. Right, I mean, it's a, the million strong is is the is the new incarnation. Right, right, there. yeah. Well, I think most recently there was the announcement from Obama during uh, Xi, uh, Xi Jinping's visit that they wanted to reach a million Americans uh, learning Mandarin. Wow. So I think it's a great goal. Yeah, it's a terrific goal. Uh, it's an organization I can really get behind. Yeah. Uh, and you, so Project Point you started, is, it was sort of an alumni network. I mean, because right. what part of the problem is that once you've left China, right. you're back here in the States and you... you right. So uh, we, we, what we do when they come back is um, we provide some leadership training. So we recruit Americans who have come back and we provide uh, leadership training, which is actually based off a course that's taught at Harvard called Leading Change. Mm-hmm. And it teaches community organizing, how do you build a community towards a shared purpose. And what we found out was that a lot of young Americans that came back, um, and especially the ones that went to underrepresented areas or came, went back to underrepresented areas like Tennessee and Kentucky <laughs> and Indiana and and um, you know the South and the Midwest, where it's still it's so important. There's increasing foreign direct investment from China into these um, non-Washingtonian uh, states, but at the same time, there it aren't a lot of of I I would say human resources mm. um, and in this supportive environment for 
young Americans who care about the China relationship to to grow in this in this knowledge space and and in this workspace. Jeremy, y'all have a chapter down there in Tennessee, right? I believe I believe we do. Um, <laughs> are, are we going we'll to kind of need to get get more involved yeah. now with that? <laughs> and, <laughs> Things are starting to happen, uh, you know, in the South, in, in Tennessee. I mean, I'm on the board of the Tennessee China Network, which was founded by uh, Elizabeth Rowland, uh, who's also a you know, former Beijing yeah. resident. Yeah. Yes. So it's growing. We know her. We, yeah. we know her. We love her. She's great. <laughs> Hi, yeah, so, so we're, we're building, we actually empower young people to go back to their schools and build chapters in... Um, throughout the United States, we have about 30 plus chapters that we've built in the last year or so or established in the last year or so. And they work on activities and um, elevate the voices that are more constructive and unifying, empowering, empathetic towards China or, or towards the U.S. and China. And also trying to bring Chinese and Americans together in um, to have a new kind of dialogue and elevate that. And the that original, uh, um, the idea of project, I mean, uh, uh, one of the things that I thought was really compelling when you first explained this to me was the, the power of getting people to work together on projects and how that is just such a, a, a bonding Absolutely. experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and yeah, exactly. It's not just uh, talking about things, but actually bringing them together. So it, it's uh, Chinese New Year this weekend, and uh, oh, on Monday it'll be officially Chinese New Year. And one of the things high. that uh, that the chapters will be doing is going to schools throughout the country that, um, especially younger or underrepresented or um, inner city schools, to talk about their China experiences and to kind of pay it forward and inspire next gen, uh, even younger people in America to learn more about China and Chinese culture. So, um, you know, that's that those are some of the things that that through this network, you know, we can send out this this um, we, we help them work together, even though they they might be only a few people in in Tennessee, you know, they can kind of mobilize and also connect to a larger network so that they're more motivated. To and keep, where, where do people find you how, how, if, if people are listening out there and they want to get involved? Where do we find you? Oh, we'll go online to projectpungyo.org and uh, sign up and you'll hear more about our upcoming uh, leadership training and and reunions and events. Uh, we should have an event coming up in Beijing pretty soon around the next visit of, of the Secretary of State, but that's still in, in the works. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, be sure to tell us about that so we can publicize it here on Seneca. Um, and also, uh, tell us a little bit about the Committee of 100. I think, you know, not too many people know about it. And, you know, the name sounds a little, you know, ominous and Illuminati. Oh. But <laughs> <that> <laughs> well, is, I, I have to start by saying that I'm the acting executive director, so I'm not an official spokesperson for the committee. But um, I can I can talk about my own opinion about the p committee and talk about some of the projects that I'm working on there. I, I think it's a really amazing and wonderful organization. It's a membership organization of Chinese Americans um, that uh, work on a dual mission to promote the full participation and the full inclusion of Chinese Americans in the United States, as well as advance U.S.-China relations, kind of leveraging the membership. There were some pretty uh, high-profile Chinese Americans who started this organization, right? That's right. It was founded by I.M. Pei, Yo-Yo Ma, uh, cellist Yo-Yo Ma, uh, financier uh, uh, Henry Tang, Oscar Tang, mm -hmm. um, a, a you know business businesswoman, uh, Shirley Young, a, a Nobel physicist or Nobel-level physicist, um, too. She actually um, couldn't get the Nobel Prize, but her, her protégés uh, received the Nobel on her behalf, okay. so to speak. But uh, very prominent Chinese-Americans. And um, uh, at that time, when they launched the Committee of 100, there were first 40 members 
that they brought together in the aftermath of the Tiananmen Square incident. And that was probably at the peak of uh, the maybe the worst times between U.S. and China. I mean, we're kind of going through a, a cool war, so to speak. But at mm-hmm. that time in recent history, that was probably some of the worst times between uh, in yeah, the relationship certainly, certainly. Um, for, for good reason. Um, but I think there was talk in Washington and elsewhere that we should really cut off normalized relations. At that time, normalized relations were only about 10 years old. Right. And there is, if there is a community that will be affected and feels very personal about that relationship, it's the Chinese Americans. And um, they felt very strongly that America should continue to its uh, relationship with China. So one of the first things they, they, they did was, was uh, form this group. Um, out of the 40 that were formed, um, I believe about half are still active in the organization, which is amazing after 25, 26 years. And um, so I, mean, I think that it's one of the rare organizations that works at a very high level with both the Chinese government as well as the U.S. government and also works on cross straits. You know, they, they, they also visit Taiwan and we have a lot of Taiwanese American um, mm-hmm, uh, members mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the few organizations that might uh, play an interesting role in cross straits relations. Right, right. P- potentially, potentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, if some of our older listeners or, or listeners are more faithful, longtime listeners may remember that we actually had Angie Tang, who was uh, formerly, I guess, in your position, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was mm-hmm. former executive director who came in to talk about a perception study that. that, that uh, yes, that, yes. We, that, and that, and that. in fact, um, we, we do that study. We did the last study about four years ago. Oh, great. And we're getting ready to do that again. Four years ago, wow. It seems like yesterday. When, when will the new one come out? I, I'd be very interested given the events of the last couple of years. Absolutely. How, how and we'll probably add out. a lot more questions related to some of the more recent events. So, such as, And let's explain, as sorry, I don't think we've explained fully the perceptions of... Of um, Chinese toward Americans. Chinese towards Americans. And Americans toward and Chinese. And Americans towards Chinese. So it's looking at both sides of, right. of the pond, of the Pacific pond. Right. Well, the Committee of 100 has been doing opinion surveys of the American public uh, since 1994. So over 20 years, we uh, probably the only organization that has been doing China or Chinese-related opinion surveys publicly. And um, more recently, I guess in 2007, they began doing mirror surveys, meaning that they started um, working with a Chinese group to, to survey Chinese attitudes towards America. And then, of course, now there are many uh, studies out there, including the Pew right. uh, Global, Global Attitude, Attitude Survey, Survey. Um, that's that that will be coming out probably in, in May, and our we'll probably have something uh, around the same time. Um, we have an annual conference that's coming up. Uh, the Committee of Hundred has an annual conference that's coming up in Los Angeles in April, April fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth, and at that time we'll probably reveal some some of the results of, of the next survey. Cool, and we're sure to talk about that on Seneca, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to drag you in yeah. again. To, to <laughs> it should be an interesting uh, time to do that survey, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, uh, the, let's talk about some of the work that you guys are doing currently. Um, sure. I, I mean, as I hinted at earlier in, in, in the intro, uh, one of the things that you've, you've taken on recently is uh, the, the, the problem of, of racial profiling of Chinese and uh, Chinese American scientists working mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was this has been a problem, of course, since the very very famous case of Wen Ho Li, who was, um, if, if I remember correctly, he was a Los Alamos physicist. Um, mm-hmm. He was born in Taiwan, uh, and uh, in late '99, he was actually indicted on mm-hmm. I think it was like 59 counts. Right. Um, and as it turned out, I mean, he ended up ple- pleading to 
one count of mishandling of yeah. classified well, basically information. taking some documents home in his briefcase right i mean he, he was he was yeah. he was essentially just innocent mm. of, of anything like yeah. that but his life was upended and and i mean he got right. really just fucked by this whole thing right? yeah well i think that there's a lot of politics involved when it's that high profile um so many news outlets have have gotten involved and um so it was i think it, it was it would have been very difficult Given that he was in solitary confinement, how badly they treated him, they weren't going to let him go completely uh, free. And, and in fact, when he was, when he did end up pleading guilty, uh, the judge uh, publicly and formally apologized to him, which, which, which I think is a very significant event that that he apologized on behalf of the government and how the government treated him. And I think um, he got a, a, a pretty uh, substantial compensation too, including from media outlets who had leaked his name before the before he was right, indicted. That's right. right. So um, he 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 received a you know like one point six million dollars or something like that for um, for everything for his one year in con- you know solitary confinement and for all My of God. his legal charges. But actually, you know, most of the, that all of that went to pay for legal charges. I don't uh, think people understand how expensive the legal system is in America. Um, to 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 have to fight a case like that, right? And, I mean, when it's an espionage continues. case like this, especially, right, I mean, my right. God. And yeah. so, has has there been a, a surge in recent years of cases like this? I mean, I, I've I've you know been seeing more and more articles about this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Just in the last eighteen months or so, it seems like there have been at least four people that have been very very publicly indicted. Uh, they're all Chinese American. They're all naturalized Chinese Americans. So they're all, um, you know, born in China and and naturalized as American citizens, and indicted for extremely heavy charges of um, espionage, being accused of being a spy, being accused of uh, treasonous behavior, being held at gunpoint, uh, arrested, and then the charges like arre- are arrested in front dropped. of their children, right? I mean, and- right? Yeah. Well, the most recent uh, case with. With Dr. Xi uh, Xiaoxing Xi from Temple University, mm-hmm, he was mm-hmm. a physicist, um, a a very very renowned physics professor there, and um, yeah, he 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 was arrested at gunpoint in front of his kids and his family. Good uh, lord! Yeah, and and, and then w- what was he working on, Maos? What kind of technology? I believe they thought that he was well. First of all, they they charged him on something that was completely unrelated to. Uh, to, to, to espionage, it seems unrelated. So uh, one of the scary things is that they can really, you can really get charged for anything. But I think he was charged for wire fraud. That he, there was some some money that might have been exchanged or something like that. And um, and it was a supposedly a trade secret that he was selling. A commercial uh, uh, secret, not a military secret, a commercial right. secret, a right? Trade secret. But somehow it had it had elevated to the point where, um, I mean, if it's a commercial secret, you would think white collar crime. They they kind of alert you and let you know that you're you know maybe your your accounts are frozen and things like that. They don't come to your home with a SWAT team and guns, um, you know. So I, I'm not quite sure you know how how the, you know going back to what you were saying about the the, the racial profiling. It's um, it's 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 a little bit scary being a Chinese American uh, to think that. Um, somebody that has succeeded their entire life, uh, been done the right thing, has cro- crossed all their T's, dotted all their I's, and did everything, was a f- scientist, you know, do your, your family proud and become a dean of a school and then t- um, for all of this to happen. I mean, I, I can't, um, I don't know the exact 
amount of legal charges that he faces, despite the fact that six months later, all charges were dropped. All charges were dropped. Yeah, against all him. charges That's were right. dropped because in, in the end, the technology was, um, they, they got it wrong. I mean, they didn't do their homework. The, the, the feds didn't do the homework. And um, they had thought it was the tech, they, he was pocket, selling technology right. of some pocket heater. Pocket exactly. Heater, right. And then, then um, during the, um, his defense, or well, his defense actually found the person that created the pocket heater to go and testify and say, that's not the pocket heater. And so, you know, after that, they had a few people give testimonies, including some, some members at, at the Committee of 100, and they, they finally dropped all charges. But mm. at this point, he's, I mean, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in legal debt. So, and Holly, can I ask, is it clear that this is, you know, targeting Chinese? I mean, uh, is this not just the overreach of the surveillance state and that, say, Muslim scientists are under equal scrutiny? Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, the Muslim Americans are under scrutiny for other things, for terrorism. Right, but right. in terms of this particular thing, industrial or military right. espionage. Well, is I, there you a, know, I, I think that that's a very that's a fair statement. I mean, and a fair question. I, I believe, you know, in terms of the cases, we've been trying to look at the cases. And 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 again, I can't speak officially. I do know that Iran and China are the two uh, cases that that tend to be. Um, uh, to, to be brought, or those are the two countries that tend to be brought up in, in um, economic and um, espionage cases. And um, I think out of the ones that China is, is relevant, um, probably around 80% of those that are accused are Chinese. Wow. Um, I mean, just, just, you know, looking at some of the numbers. So I don't know if that's profiling or if that um, increases. If these are again, some of these cases can are are, are extremely severe and um, threaten our national security. But at the same time, you have a million Chinese Americans that are working in STEM fields and building up uh, innovative technologies. And because of their work in America, you know, in in all of their work in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, that um, that you can't say that all one million of them that are working in America are actually. Um, spies, and that's what that's what's happening. Is that is that when you when you very publicly? I mean, these are press releases sent from Department of Justice that say so and so has been indicted, and we found one. We found one of those spies, and and the case hasn't been been um, you know ha- they haven't completely prosecuted. Right, 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 right. That I think that the very public nature of this creates a hazard of of racial profiling. Um, not necessarily saying that there's an institutionalized you know, rule that they're going to racially profile. But I think that there is this tendency to know that generally, oh, this is happening. And if they're going to be very public about it and all of the fear that that is 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 mongered, so to speak, from politicians and ca- on Capitol Hill, I think it does create a tendency um, of of uh, looking suspiciously at, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at a Chinese in your office, and and, and um, Chinese aren't just aren't just vulnerable in that sense. I mean, vulnerable to the accusations, but they're also vulnerable to approaches by Chinese um, intelligence. Absolutely. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, if if you're able, I don't. I mean, uh, sure. Because you know that, that that is something that happens. I mean, we're 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 we're, right. we're certainly aware. Um, you know. That, yeah. I, I do think that that uh, I think that first of all, I, I think that Chinese Americans are a very unique community in the U.S. China space. Specifically, I lived in China for ten years, and there are things that I believe I was able to do within the civil society um, sector um, in the nonprofit world that I don't publicize very openly, like I do with Project Pungyo. But I've been working on other projects um, in the philanthropic sector, and 
I believe that if I didn't look Chinese and if I didn't have a sense of kinship, um, you know, and, and, and I could blend in, so to speak, with the rest of, of the people that I were, was working with, then I probably would not have been able to accomplish nearly um, as much as I did. And I also understood that I couldn't, um, you know, this issue of face and all of that, that, that I was willing to, to uh, blend in to make sure that projects would get done. So I think that that was a, um, a double-edged sword Very much, yeah. um, for, for Chinese, that on the one hand, we have this natural way of, of um, having kinship for both sides. So I also grew up American. I pledged allegiance to the flag growing up. And uh, coming back, I understand the narrative um, in a different way than um, than than, than the uh, you know a pure Chinese that were to come from from China. Right, I, right, I right. obviously have a different kinship to this country, and and to to so um, yeah. So I, I think that because of that, um, because of this ease on both in both cultures, we are in some ways targeted by both countries as mm-hmm, well, uh, mm-hmm. targeted here um, for being a spy, targeted there to uh, to, to become be a spy. A spy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and indeed, there are spies. I mean, I think just last week there was the news of uh, the guy who was crawling around in an Iowa cornfield trying to steal Monsanto and DuPont, uh, you know. Yeah, it was DuPont stuff. GMO, seeds, corn, GMA, seeds. Yeah. Right, um, which is a national security threat. Right. right. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. They, they, they somehow know. think <laughs> it is, but. Um, but I mean, I, I, do do you remember that piece, Corn Wars? Yeah. I think that was I, I remember reading. Yeah, that, that was. Uh, I think we recommended it on the site on on on, on the podcast before. So uh, can I ask then? Um, I mean, clearly, if you're a if you're a chi- ethnically Chinese scientist, you you are working on a, a mm-hmm. project that is either sensitive because of military reasons or commercial reasons. You probably are at risk of coming under scrutiny. So right. I mean. What would you say people in this position should do to protect prepare or yeah. protect themselves? Right. I think that's a really good question. One of the things that I'm uh, that the Committee of 100 does, and it's um, as an educational project, is to uh, go out and give seminars. So we have extremely um, experienced legal experts that are Committee of 100 members. Brian Sun um, is one of them. We have legal scholars like Frank Wu. Um, Nelson Dong is also a, a legal expert in this area, and they volunteer their time to um, give seminars to Chinese American scientists and engineers on their the legal risks that they face in advancing technology between the U.S. and China. I mean, again, as I mentioned, there's like a million people in the STEM fields, a million Chinese Americans working in STEM fields, and because of that, all of them, I if they're working at the cutting edge of any field, they're going to be in touch with sensitive, highly valuable information, whether it's valuable to their employer or valuable to this country. And that's just the nature of the work. Yeah, they, they need to that. not be cavalier about it, you know, to take it home in their briefcase when they're... Right, uh, yeah, they need to be extra careful and not uh, <laughs> understand what um, what their what what their 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 HR codes are um, at the at the company level, non disclosure agreements and things like that, and know what they can't take home, know what a trade secret is that they can't take home and they can't be flippant um, about. I mean, you know, with with um, Sherry Chen and 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 uh, Xiaoxing Xi, in 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 both cases, if they had um, slipped up and and done something, and, and in fact, um, with with Sherry Chen, they yeah. Were, let's talk about Sherry Chen's case. We haven't gotten into that yet. That's true. Right, yeah, right. So, uh, Sherry Chen is this hydrologist um, who forecasts flood threats uh, for for the federal government, 
and she was arrested in October, a couple October 2014, and then six months later, they also dropped all charges. Um, and Sherry, I, I believe, uh, had family that was still in Beijing, and yeah, her she mom was, was making, sick or something, right? I, I I think it was her father. Oh, her father. Okay. And um, and oh, it's just so heartbreaking to hear her story because um, she. She's been working with the federal government for, I want to say, 25 years. So um, is this loyal, you know, federal um, servant. And um, but she makes these frequent trips to China because her father is sick and she's trying to be a filial daughter. daughter right. And um, and I believe she made one of the last trips and and came back and then she got arrested publicly at work Um and she was accused of, and, and, and in fact, when she was arrested, I believe that they had first questioned her. So she had worked for a number of hours and then um, some agents came in and they asked if they could speak with her. And then they questioned her for seven hours with no food, no water. Um, and, and I think at some point, maybe like three or four hours in, she suddenly asked, do I need an attorney? And, and, I, and I think they were like, no, no, it's fine. We're just asking questions. <laughs> so I think it's That'll, really important, yeah. actually, for Chinese-American scientists to, to know what their rights are. I mean, basically, you have the right and to that's remain part of That's part of what, what your legal experts are doing in the, these exactly. seminars. Exactly. Our are... legal experts talk about um, what their rights are. Um, they also go over uh, historic cases um, that, that um, show this, this pattern or apparent pattern. And um, they, they kind of pinpoint some of the details of ways that people are caught. And oftentimes they'll get indicted for something, for some high treasonous, uh, you know, uh, reason. And then, and then later on um, they'll get charged with something like mishandling of, of sensitive information mm-hmm. or something like that. Which, what happens to these people's lives afterward, though? I mean, are they, is anyone ever able to recover from something like this? This is just, I mean, an enormous stigma. Even if you are, you are found innocent, your, your life yeah. has been completely upended, right? I mean, it's, it's difficult to say. I think that for, for instance, um, Sherry Chen, I think she's, she's still going through, um, through the after effects of what happened and everything was, was in her life. It was very quiet and very normal until this happened and it upended. And now she, she doesn't have, have money to pay for legal fees. So she's trying to, to reach out into the community to, to gain support. Um, I believe that she hasn't, um, been given her job back, um, even though all charges have been dropped, and she is, you know, she's 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 fifty nine, sixty years old. In, I mean, if you if you mirror what happened twenty plus years ago with Wen Ho Lee, Wen Ho Lee after that, um, after his arrest, despite being a huge, you know, purist of an engineer, so he mm-hmm. went on to write extremely um, deep engineering books. Um, but he, he never got a job after that. He was uh, 59 years old, um, never, never got he, a job He did after write that. a memoir about his life, right? He, somebody, yeah, he, I think he worked with somebody to write a memoir mm. about that. And um, I haven't read that, that memoir myself, but uh, he, you know, he's, still, he's still alive and, and uh, still around. But it's just amazing that, that this is, this is coming, coming back. And I know that there are a lot of the founders of the Committee of 100 when they founded this organization – um, they it concerns them that what's coming back because it feels a little bit like the the remnants of the McCarthyism and the the you know the hysteria that was raised because of of the you know the Cold War and and um, the hysteria towards communism. Now it's 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 
and at that time it was still it was racial as well i mean uh, you had started by talking about allegiance and the japanese internment i mean that was racial as well i mean they we we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't intern you know the germans or or anybody else we interned the japanese because they looked very identifiably different different, they were identifiably different that's right um can i ask actually both of you including you know kaiser you too but um aside from scientists working on you know sensitive information uh, I mean, McCarthyism was sort of an interesting comparison because uh, it, it went after communists, and a, a lot of whom happened to be Jewish. Right. That's right. And right. it kind right. of, you know, it had a bit of an anti-Semitic tint to it. Right. Um, the how much do you feel that, uh, that uh, regular Chinese Americans, or perhaps even just East Asians in America, are affected by this? You know, if you're just doing some job that isn't sensitive, do you think, uh, and particularly given the current tense state of relations between China and the U.S. Do you think you Chinese people in America are feeling the results of this in any other way? In well, I th- I think that that um, the Chinese American scientist community specifically is um, is very concerned, and they don't really know what to do because um, on the one hand, most of their money for their work for their innovation comes from the federal government, and so. Um, it's it's difficult for them to speak out. It's difficult for them to. I mean, how can you come speak out and and not sound like you're trying to be an apologist for it, right? Right, an apologist or anti-government. I mean, it's it's difficult because I think that our our loyalties are always questioned um, because of what we what we look like, what our race is, what our ethnicity is, what our what our what our heritage is. And also because it's so difficult to tweeze apart sometimes. You know, I mean, I try, you try to inhabit two cultures simultaneously. Does that mean we try to inhabit two political allegiances simultaneously? No, right. but but it, it doesn't. But that's uh, right. there, it's yeah. hard for people. I mean, to at quite the end of the day, that, like for right. instance, I'm 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 an American citizen, and so the 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 allegiance that I pledge on a national level will have to is is American, and because that's that's who holds my passport, that's who who protects my rights. Um, but but in America, and and I'm still dealing with this because I'm still I feel like a new retransplant into the U.S. I never really. Um, thought about these these issues, these racial issues, until I came back. And even with the upsurge of racial um, consciousness consciousness in in America, it's still like like uh, the Asian voice doesn't matter in America somehow. That it's not even in part of the dialogue yet. You know, there's the black and white, but somehow all, all the other races haven't quite quite um, you know fit in yet. So um, I, I'm still struggling with that. I'm not quite sure how to. How to how to talk about? I think you that. guys got to hire my people's lobbyists. <laughs> <laughs> are you, yes, you, you South are Africans? Very, very effective. Very effective. <laughs> no, no, the other the, the oh, other see, tribe. Yeah, I'm not going to take that bait. I'm not going to go. Yeah. Over it. yeah hey, so, sorry, but um, I mean, I think I, I would just uh, suggest that the, the the very mentality of the engineer of the scientist um, who who doesn't understand often legal or or, or political or social currents that that, that maybe. You know, underway. They, they they tend to think of things just so you know clinically and analytically. They they maybe don't understand. Uh, they, they think I haven't done anything wrong, therefore I am not going to be in any trouble. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I I, exactly. I know from yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's people close to me who have who've had you know things like this happen to them. And their their first reaction is you know I have nothing to fear because I've done nothing wrong. And, right. Uh, right. Right. It's, but it's, but I think that that um, because of how public. Some of these indictments are, and and then um, especially this year with the the federal elections, I, I think that we were before the elections 
um, began or the campaigning began, um, some people in it that I was talking to were wondering, oh, is China even going to be an issue? Or, or is um, ethnicity or Chinese even going to be brought up in the federal elections? I mean, the last federal elections, somebody had done a study um, and, and apparently... It, China was mentioned in a negative light in something like 90,000 campaigns or, or campaign ads or something like that. So wow. they were, we were wondering if that number was going to go up or go down or or and I think that that number is will most likely have gone up. Well, 80,000 mentions already by Donald Trump. Right? <laughs> by him alone. Right. right. And and it, it's just interesting because it's, these are not fact based arguments, you know, about one or the other. These are a lot of this is emotive and. Um, and that's what, what, what becomes, I think, very scary when you don't, and, and, and also why I very much believe in the leadership of, of the Chinese American community, both in America and in China, because there's a lot of, of anti-foreign sentiment, um, in China that gets riled up as well. I mean, I remember, Mm -hmm. um, listening to your, this American life and you telling your story about what happened, um, after the, the bombing of, of the Belgrade embassy. And, um, and that turned into, um, all of this emotive, um, anti-American sentiment in, in yeah, China. Yeah, we can't win, can we? <laughs> no, and, but I think that, that that's why, um, you know, not to be not to be racial or, or anything, but I do think that, that we, that as, speaking for myself and for the people I know, I think that Chinese Americans tend to be uh, a unique group that just has a natural kinship to both sides, and therefore it's really important, I think it's really important for um, Chinese American and their leadership to be recognized in all of these exchanges that are extremely difficult and extremely uh, conflict-ridden, and that um, and you know we, we tend to as Chinese, even though we're American as Chinese Americans, we still tend to not speak up as much about what we've done and what we we just do it. But I I, I think that it, it, there's something to be said about recognizing the role of Chinese Americans to keep the relationship peaceful on both sides. Absolutely, both sides. yeah, yeah. I think we all have a job to do. Um, and I'm very very glad that we've got folks like you who are willing to do it. I mean, articulate and passionate and and uh, and very dedicated. Uh, where can we go online or whatever to find more information either about the the racial profiling of, of Chinese scientists or um, uh, to find out maybe if, if I am a, you know a person working in in a secure research lab in the United States and I'm of Chinese ethnic heritage and uh, I I want to read uh, about how, what I can do to. It's uh, funny you ask that. So you're not the first person to have asked that. So one of the things my office is at the Committee of 100 is working on is compiling a resource page on the Committee of 100 website. So so very soon when you go to committee100.org, there will be some uh, resources for you to read through. We've actually developed an educational one pager and a flyer to, uh, to, to give out. Um, to educate people and to engage them as part of the solution to make sure that they're educating others in their community. And, and, you know, we don't have all the solutions because I think advancing technology happens to be a very, very, especially between two countries, happens to be a very technical and nuanced practice that has um, huge merit for the world. And I'm not one of those scientists that has been doing this work, but I think that the scientists themselves um, have a lot and a lot to bring to this dialogue as well. So hopefully, um, they, you know, there will be more and more uh, focus on on uh, creating solutions for this. Can I ask one more question about this? Is um, are these cases are they deterring Chinese ethnically Chinese scientists and technologists from working in the United States already? Is this already having an effect? 
Because, I mean, I would imagine that is, for the United States, mm -hmm. that it <coughs> is the main downside, is mm -hmm. if this gets to be a big enough of a problem, they all lose all that talent. Hyper-talented. Right. Um, right. Well, yeah, if everybody starts being thinking that they're, they're spies, if they go into this field, then I d do think that in the future this will be a deterrent. Now, these, these cases that came up, the four cases, um, uh, the Eli Lilly, uh, case was probably the first one that happened in 2014 and then and then Sherry Chen and, and Xi Xiaoxing and there's an increasing uh, number of these types of indictments. I think that the fact that they're so high profile but also very recent, it's hard to say what the effect will be immediately but I, I do think this problem isn't going away. It's not like um, China's going away as a technology competitor and right. and, and the United States is going to... to um, stop having Chinese Americans work on technology. So I, I think that um, the chilling effect of people going into technology, I think it's a potential. And I think it would be a great loss for the United States. Because again, right. if you think of a lot of technology that we use, um, you know, Yahoo, um, well, Yahoo, not as much, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I still YouTube. use Yahoo. <laughs> and uh, I mean, all of Silicon Valley, all of the money that's flowing in, in Silicon Valley, I mean, that comes from people that believe very much in technology advancement in the U.S. And a lot of them are also working with, with Chinese companies like Baidu and others. So I, I think that um, I'm hoping that that we are able to change the narrative so that it's not, the narrative doesn't become, oh, everybody is a spy and is a potential spy. But the narrative um, is, it's at least recognized that um, Chinese Americans by and large are participating as innovators and adding to the innovation of America. And therefore that um, they are, they are part of the pride, pride of, of American innovation in the mm -hmm, world. Mm hmm motive for a driving force yeah well great um, um we wish you the best of luck in this endeavor and um you, you, we got your back <laughs> hey jeremy let's uh let's 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 roll on with some uh, recommendations man you all say? right i actually have two the one that i just thought of kind of halfway through this show after talking about um your um your your brother's broadway show <coughs> is uh it's on the media which is one of my all-time favorite radio shows and right. podcasts um Bob Garfield, uh, one of the hosts of it, interviewed uh, George Takei, um, oh. uh, and I, they spent quite a, a part of the conversation uh, talking about uh, the show, yeah. about yeah. Allegiance, so that's very interesting. The second recommendation is, I think, one of the best things I've read about China in years, and it is an, a Q&A. I mean, it's a simple Q&A that Ian Johnson... Uh, previous guest on the show and you know man about town many <laughs> talents in Beijing he did he's a kind of shitty at trivia I have to say that <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's really an inside joke I don't know about that no, no, we, we did this trivia contest where he he was like in negative territory through most of the whole thing it, it was it was funny he was great he was a good sport about it um, I give him shit about it every time I see him though <laughs> so uh he uh did a um a Q&A with Baopu uh yeah um the publisher, Hong Kong-based publisher, you know, whose daddy is being kind of locked up in his house since 1989 in right. Beijing. And he's just very funny and very caustic. And, you know, he doesn't give a shit. And it's, I think... Remind really, you of anyone? Really one of the best things I've read about China for a long time. So, mm. Ian Johnson's <laughs> okay. Q&A with, with Baopu. Interesting. Yeah. Um, anything that Ian writes or, or yeah. has a hand in, I'm, I'm always up for reading. Absolutely. Uh, what about you, Kali? What do you got for us? Um, I have. I also have two, and and just thought of one. Uh, one is actually 
a book called Fateful Ties. Um, and the author is Gordon H. Chang. Right, the Stanford professor. That's right. Right, not, not the other, not, not the other guy. Gordon Chang. Right, but um, the 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 <laughs> the one that writes about um, Chinese Americans, Chinese right. and and Chinese Americans in a very positive way. But um, he's written a book about America's history um, within the context of of its ties to China, because mm-hmm. I think that very often America uh, forgets that the world existed. Um, in the absence of America, I mean, what is what is history of America in the absence of America? And, and you know, when it was founded, everybody was searching for China, and so um, I, I think it's a very interesting take on American history that we didn't learn um, growing up, at least. Yeah, he, he, my my sister and my younger brother both had him as a professor, I believe. Really? Yeah. When they really? Both at Stanford. He, he's a great guy. He's yeah. a great. He's one of the committee of hundred members as well. Our newest, one of our newest members. Great. And um, the second recommendation I have is actually based off an event that, that uh, I went to yesterday. Um, there is a new group called SUP China, uh, What's Up China, and I think it's, it's, uh, it was also started by a Committee of 100 member named Anla Chung, and it's, uh, it's a really great idea of curating all China-related news into an app, and you can download the app on SUPChina.com. And I'm, it just launched, so I'm really excited to see what's what's to come of this new new media. Cool, platform. yeah, I was there. I was on that panel. That yes, you were. Night. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Jeremy, you, you were you were there too as well. So I was yeah. indeed. Oh yeah, we're we're rooting for Sub China. We're really hoping that they 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 pull off something miraculous and wonderful. I think they will. Yeah, me too. Uh, me, my recommendation then. Um, I'm just going to go, I mean, so I think there's been this kind of theme threading this thing and it's all about allegiance, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll title the, uh, the episode allegiance. And, and so I, I'm going to, you know, just once, once more, um, the tragedy of this play, of uh, this musical is that it, uh, it closes actually on February 14th. It may go on the road after that at some point, um, in maybe a reduced form, but you know, Broadway's a tough place. It had a good run, you know, it ran from October 6th, um, Five yeah, it's 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 not. I mean, that's not a bad not a bad run for Broadway, but uh, you know, not everybody wanted. To, I mean, my, I talked to my brother about it, and he said that um, you know, in a lot of the polling, people were like, you know, it was all about not wanting to feel so bad about being an American. You know, um, that there's a lot of sort of shame in, in Houston. But I, I really want to for anyone uh, I, who who has a chance come see this show before February 14th. I know we, we don't have much time, and I'm going to push Dave to get this, this show up very quickly so that maybe... In the next 12 minutes. Yeah, right, right. No, Allegiance, I, I saw Allegiance, like, I think the first week of it coming out. It was amazing. It was, I thought it was really amazing, and I was really touched by the story, and I was really impressed by the music and the score, which which was written by your brother, right? by, right, by right. Jay Kuo, um, which is a, an amazingly talented attorney yeah, yeah he's <laughs> turned he's actually turned like mu- the supreme court musical, bar. yes yeah, no, no, no. um but i was really really impressed and i think everybody should watch it yeah uh and and if you don't get to see it uh you can download the entire the, the cast uh uh the the the, the whole you know all the what was it, the score or the the the, the music um, the the entire recording, the cast record, the original cast, oh, the original cast right. recording. That's what I'm right, trying to say. Right, the album came right. out. Yeah, it, it's right? come out right, right. Oh, that's uh, cool. And you can buy it. Um, you can download it on yeah, iTunes. Yeah, the music or is great. It's it's, it's amazing. Uh, and I think yeah. it, it it can pretty you can pretty much Lea understand Salonga. the story. Yeah, Lea Salonga is just angelic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the entire cast though. Yeah. I mean, it's Telly it's Leung, just just Telly Young. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the the music is is great. You know, it it somehow manages to weave in interesting 
Japanese themed music without seeming at all orientalist. It doesn't. It doesn't. Right. You know, indulge in any of that ching chong or yeah. you know, whatever the. And it's a beautiful. Right, it's right, a right. beautiful set. I will have to. Yeah, say. yeah. The set's gorgeous too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it, the mechanics of it were really great. Anyway, I, I'm I'm gonna go see it again before I leave New York. It was just the best. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try. Cannot to see believe it. how proud I am of my little brother Aww. for this thing. Yeah, well, you have reason to be proud. All right, hey, well, thanks, Holly. It was so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And we'll we'll have you on again soon, I'm sure. Uh, Jeremy, man, a pleasure. Yeah, Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, let's uh, let's also just have a rip roaring good time while we're here before we leave. And uh, folks, happy Chinese New Year once more, and we will see you next week on the Cynic Podcast. Happy Chinese New Year.